0: Investing Compass is brought to you by Morningstar Australia. We'll run through the fundamentals of investing, take a deep dive of concepts and offer practical explanations, tools and resources that will allow you to invest confidently. The information contained in this podcast is general in nature. It does not take into consideration your personal objectives, financial situation or needs.
1: Today's Investing Compass episode is on the 4% rule. And so, Shani, I was going to start out by saying that the 4% rule is controversial, but that implies that most of our listeners are sitting around arguing about this, and (laughs) I doubt that that's actually happening. So with you, if I wanted to say... Talk about something that you argue about all the time. I could say that John Benet Ramsey was killed by the Night Stalker, <laughs> and then this podcast episode would be four hours where you told me all the reasons I was wrong.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I completely disagree. I feel like it'd be a very short episode. I'm very sold on who killed John Benet Ramsey. It's kind of been my life's work. So
1: your your life's work. You watched a television <laughs> show. You did not solve the crime, but uh, but what, who who did it?
0: It was the brother. It was, it the was brother. obviously the brother, yeah.
1: Okay, well, if the brother's listening, watch out. Shani <laughs> is heading to Colorado to uh, to get you. But let's, let's go back to the other controversy, the 4% rule. And the 4% rule, for those that don't know, it's supposed to represent the amount you can safely withdraw from your portfolio in retirement and then not run out of money before you die. And many of you are probably thinking, why does this matter to me? I'm years from retirement. So Shani, you're years from retirement and you told us on the portfolio construction episode that you are 38 years from retirement. Mm-hmm. So why should this matter to someone like you that's a younger investor?
0: Yeah, well, we pointed this out in our portfolio construction episode. Um, the amount you can safely withdraw tells you something really important when you're planning for retirement um, and what it tells you is how much you need in your portfolio in order to generate a certain amount of income.
1: And this is a valuable way of looking at something far off in the future because a portfolio value can seem really abstract. People can't really picture what a $1 million retirement portfolio means, but they can picture what $40,000 a year means.
0: So, this withdrawal rate matters when you're setting goals. The math behind uh, this is that you divide the amount of money that you'd like per year by this withdrawal rate. So, if you wanted 100K per year to be generated from your portfolio at a 4% withdrawal rate, you can divide 100K by 4%, which equals $2.5 million.
1: Okay, so let's dig into the practical application of the 4% rule. So, Shani, why don't we start out by going through in a little more detail that example you use in the portfolio construction episode.
0: Yeah, so I used it to estimate the amount of money that I'd need to support my retirement. As an investor with a long time horizon until retirement, I'm not really thinking about taking money out of my portfolio yet. But what I did was estimate the amount that I need in the future and what that provides me with is some really valuable insights into the savings levels that I need to meet my goals and also the risk that I need to take in my portfolio. So many of my friends and they struggle with taking the plunge into investing because they're worried about losing money Um, and they've gotten really good at saving and they've developed really good savings habits, but they're keeping it in cash. And I've always been a little bit more comfortable with investing since I work in the industry but figuring out how much you need in the future can be an inducement to start investing. And this is because practically, there's really no way to meet retirement goals if you don't move your money out of cash. So yeah, again, find finding this number that you need is dividing the yearly income you need by the percentage withdrawal rate. In my case, I wanted 60K a year and used 4% as an estimate, which means I need a portfolio value of $1.5 million.
1: Okay. And as Shawnee loves to point out, I'm a little bit further along in my investing journey, <laughs> but I think at least I've still got ample time before retirement. And by doing the same thing as you, Shani, I've gotten comfortable that I'm on track to have the retirement I want. So my situation is a little complicated. I'm a dual citizen. I've got retirement counts and Both countries, so the US and Australia, but I do believe that this combination of super and then my US retirement accounts means that I should be okay. So by doing this analysis, I concluded that I could start using my non retirement assets to fund some things I want to do right now. So like, for example, the past five years, I've taken income generated by a portfolio and paid for travel with it, which It's one of my favorite things to do. So it's obviously been a great year for me. (laughs) And this is a situation where blindly saving and investing could have resulted in too much money in retirement. And I know the old adage that you can never have enough, but that isn't true. You really can't. And the whole point of saving and investing is to pay for your life. So if you can pay for things now, knowing you'll be okay in retirement, that's what I would like to do. So and I'm sure that's what most people like to do so let 's dig into this four percent rule, and this is where we get into a bit of history Now, Shai hates every time then to talk <laughs> about history and There was a financial advisor in the U.S. called Bill Bengen, and back in the early 90s, he was struggling with the problem of advising his clients on how much they could take out of their portfolio and not run out of money. And this is a real problem when you're thinking about retirement because it's a zero-sum game. You either run out of money before you die or you don't, and of course, you don't know when you're going to die.
0: So, Bill Bengen started digging into this problem. He wanted a rule that people could use to determine how much they could withdraw from their portfolio. So, Bill knew that the biggest issue facing people that are approaching retirement or early in retirement is the sequencing of returns. A bear market during those periods can have really adverse effects on your retirement outcomes because during these times of falling markets, you're taking money out of your account to pay for your expenses and you don't have time to save and invest to make up for the poor returns.
1: Yeah, so knowing this risk, Bill naturally started his analysis by looking at the three biggest stock market declines up until that point. So this was the early 90s. So that's the 1929 to 1931 bear market, where the US market fell 61%, the 1937 to 41 bear market, where the market fell 33%, and the 73 and 74 bear market, where it fell 37%. So he ran scenarios where he took a 60-40 portfolio. 60% equities, 40% bonds, and looked at what would happen if someone retired every year since 1926 and what the outcome would be based on different withdrawal rates. So what this analysis basically did was show the impact of different sequences of returns since all of the return outcomes would be different.
0: So what he found through this analysis was that a 3% withdrawal rate gave you a portfolio that would last 50 years. In other words, you could safely fund a retirement without running out of money for 50 years even if you had the misfortune to retire during a bear market. When he looked at 4%, he found that your portfolio would last 30 years and that in no period in the history of the stock market would anyone run out of money in less than 30 years, no matter when they retired. And that was basically the birth of the 4% rule.
1: Now, before we dig into this rule, let's go through how it works. The 4% rule means that you take out in your first year of retirement 4% of the assets, and that's the money that you live off of. So if you have $1.5 million, as Shauna used in her example, you would take out $60,000. Then each subsequent year, you can increase the amount you take out by inflation. So if you want to use a 2% figure for inflation, the next year you would take out $61,200. So easy enough. But many people don't take inflation into account. The other thing that's important to note here is that this 4% withdrawal rate is looking at a period of retirement lasting 30 years. The reason I make this clear is because a lot of people in the FIRE movement, so that's financially independent, retire early, they look at the 4% rule and they apply it to a retirement when they're retiring in their 30s or 40s. So all I can say, and Shani has been witness to some of my rants about the FIRE movement, <laughs> but all I can say is that if I was going to retire in my 30s, I would probably spend a couple minutes to read up on the assumptions that went into that decision. But anyway, that's, that's my mini rant. Okay. But moving on from that snarky comment... Let's dig into the 4% rule a bit.
0: So we should examine if it's still applicable and some of the assumptions that were used. So Bill Bengen came out in 2020 and said that he thought the 4% rule was actually too pessimistic. He claimed that it was based on the worst case scenario, and incidentally, the worst time to retire would have been in 1968. And that was a market peak and when high inflation started. If you retired in 1968, you would go through a 14-year long bear market. But if you don't look at the worst-case scenario and instead you look at the average withdrawal rate that allows your portfolio to last for 30 years at 7%, that's all fine. But we need to remember all of the studies that Bill did was backtesting. In other words, he was looking at historical returns, and this can be a problem for investors in 2021. If you listen to our early episode of Investing Compass, you'd know that I want to get a tattoo that says past performance is no guarantee of future results. On your forehead, yeah. <laughs>
1: you you left that part out, Sean. You <laughs> yeah. want to get that tattoo on your forehead. Yeah. Um, but anyway, let's uh let's think a little bit about what happens with this 4% rule in the future. So let's start with the fixed income part of your portfolio, which is assumed to be 40%. As we record this, the US 10-year treasury yield is 1.45%. And that is after it bounced a bit in the past month. That is really, really low. To put that into perspective, the average inflation rate in Australia between 2010 and 2020 was 1.9%. So in the case of that 10-year treasury bond, you would have actually had a negative real return over that decade. So if the yields on bonds so low, And cash so low, is safe to say that there aren't a lot of people that have a 60-40 portfolio. And if you do have 40% of your portfolio in fixed interest, where return comes from price appreciation, from falling interest rates and interest payments, we have record low interest rates right now and you're getting almost nothing in interest. I don't know where the returns actually going to come from. And remember that long term government bonds have returned more than 5% a year since 1926, which are the numbers that went into Bill Bengen's analysis. That isn't going to happen in the future. It's basically mathematically impossible at this level of interest rates. So if you're about to retire and 40% of your portfolio is in bonds, you have no chance of that portion of your portfolio meeting the returns in the past.
0: Let's turn our attention to equities. We recently put out an episode where we explored if the market was overvalued. One measure that we used was the CAPE ratio or cyclically adjusted price to earnings ratio. And we like this one a little bit more than the others because it smooths out earnings over a 10-year period and it also adjusts for inflation. And as we mentioned, the only time that the CAPE ratio was as high as it's currently been was uh, Black Tuesday before the Great Depression, right before the tech bubble burst in the late 1990s, and right before the financial crisis in 2007. So let's look at the returns after those periods. The first period we'll look at is after the 1929 crash. It happened in October 1929, but if we take the Dow Jones Industrial Average returns, because there was no S&P 500 at that time, from the start of 1929 for the next decade, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down 51%. Let's look at the dot-com crash in the early 2000s. This time we can take the S&P 500, which is more of a representative index, at the beginning of 2000, it finished at 1,447.16. Ten years later, at the end of 2010, it finished at 1,257.64. And that's a loss of over 13% over the course of a decade.
1: That was was very specific, by the way. (laughs) Thank you for not rounding that anyway.
0: I'm really sorry, Mark.
1: That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um So finally, let's look at the GFC. And it's important to note here that the GFC is included in that earlier time period we talked about since a 10-year period from the dot-com crash also included the GFC crash. If we look at the beginning of 2008, the S&P 500 was trading at 1,447. Notice how I rounded, <laughs> which incidentally is around where it was at the beginning of 2000. 10 years later, at the end of 2008, 18, it was trading at 2,506, which represents a gain of over 70%. And that sounds like a lot, but that 70% was over 10 years, and the annualized return was 5.65%. So for all those people that keep telling me that equities return 10% a year and then give outlandish figures for the return on diversified portfolios, think again. At this level of interest rates for bonds, there's no way, and in this case, literally no way, that we're getting anywhere close to the 5% return they've averaged since 1926. And at this level of valuation for equities, history has shown us that future returns are not going to be good.
0: And one more thing to say about equities. Let's look again at the three places that you get equity returns from. It's dividends, earnings growth, and changes in valuation levels. Dividends as measured by yield are at close to historic lows, and valuations are at historic highs, and that leaves earnings growth to drive the majority of equity returns. And since the year 2000, they've grown at an annualized rate of 3.34%.
1: So what is the answer here? Does the 4% rule still apply? This, of course, is impossible to know because the future is impossible to know. What I would say is that if you're retiring right now, it wouldn't hurt to be conservative and use a lower withdrawal rate. The one good thing to remember is that if you are retiring this year, you've benefited from an enormous run-up during your prime earnings years in every asset class. So stocks, bonds, real estate – your portfolio value and house value is way higher than it would be in almost any other time in history, and you don't get everything in life. A 4% withdrawal rate and a highly inflated portfolio might just be a bridge too far. That doesn't, of course, mean that you can't take advantage of valuations and move more money into cash at this time to fund future years' withdrawals.
0: And if you're younger, you can still use that 4% role as a way to estimate how much you need in your portfolio to generate a certain level of income in retirement. And this, of course, is a key part of setting goals. When looking at the required rate of return to reach that goal, you should take into account the valuation levels mean and what they mean, at least in the near term. Return levels are likely to be below historic returns.
1: Great. So thank you guys for joining us on today's episode. Now you can argue with your friends about the 4% rule and (laughs) And understand why it's controversial. (laughs) So yeah, I was going to say the thing that we learned, (laughs) the best thing that we learned on this episode is Shawnee solved the John JonBenet Ramsey case and did it from her couch in (laughs) Sydney, Australia, which is amazing. But thank you guys for listening. Please leave a comment if you have something nice to say and a rating. (laughs) Thank you very much. Any advice is general advice prepared by Morningstar without reference to your financial objectives, situation or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest.